Amen. Turn to Acts chapter 19 tonight. Acts chapter 19. Last week, when we did, went through chapter 18, uh, we talked a lot about how a dispensation works. And we saw an example of someone who clearly had been saved before the resurrection of Christ. He only knew about the baptism of John. And, uh, of course, after Aquila and Priscilla explained the way of God more perfectly, gave him the rest of the story. This guy being saved, he ate it up. And uh, when you have a theology like we do that is non-dispensational, that believes salvation has always been the same throughout history, one gospel, one way of salvation, one savior, one way, but just that one message that uh, it has more details have been given over time. These things aren't a problem at all. And so we're going to see another example um, of people who had gotten saved before in this chapter. And a lot of what we talked about last week will help you understand uh, what we're going to see this week. But I'm going to give it maybe a few more details to hopefully help make this clear. And Acts 18 and 19, these are important that we understand these chapters properly because you do have your mid-Acts dispensationalists out there that are super weird and believe all kinds of crazy stuff, and they're the ones that believe we don't even have to be baptized anymore because that was just like a temporary thing for the Jews, and that's ridiculous. And I don't have time tonight to explain all the different views that I've heard on this passage that we're about to read. And there's a lot of different views on there. And it's because if you're dispensational, yes, this passage is going to confuse the daylights out of you. But you know what? You don't have to be dispensational. You can throw that stuff out. And just believe your Bible and then let the Bible interpret itself. And it's not hard at all. But when you're trying to force the Bible into a system of theology, it's going to create problems if you have adopted a false or a flawed system of theology. And dispensationalism has a lot of flaws. So uh, we're just going to mainly focus on what this passage is actually teaching. We're just going to kind of give the truth on it and then... Uh, once you understand the truth, then it's going to be really hard for somebody to, you know, put one over on you. So look what it says in verse one. It says, and it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, have ye received the Holy ghost since he believed? And they said unto him, we have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy ghost. And he said unto them, unto what then were ye baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him, which should come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied, and all the men were about twelve. So right here, this passage does it makes the mind of a dispensationalist you know, head it makes their head explode and turns them into mid-act dispensationalists which is even worse than most of the dispensationalists we often talk about there even a lot of ruckmanites don't go this far but uh there are some that they do they get real crazy because of this passage and it's really not hard if you understand what a dispensation is and if you understand how it works so Here's a few things to keep in mind because, I mean, so, you know, what would you do if you went up to somebody today 
And they said, hey, have you, and you asked them that question, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? And they were like, well, I don't even know if there is such a thing as the Holy Ghost. I, you'd be like, I don't think that person's saved. Okay? So that's what we would say today. So why wouldn't we say that to somebody back then? Very good reason. Because that part of our salvation, the part about the Holy Ghost, the indwelling of the Holy Ghost, all these things, that was something that was not understood in the past. It was something that had not been dispensed, even though... The Holy Ghost has always been around, and he was all over the Old Testament. But this concept of the indwelling of the Holy Ghost, the things that we know about the Holy Ghost now, these are things that were learned and that were revealed in the New Testament, in the New Testament period. So these guys who had heard the preaching of John, like Apollos, but hadn't heard the preaching of Jesus yet, and hadn't heard the preaching about Jesus since Pentecost, when the Holy Ghost came on everyone, you know, why would they know about the Holy Ghost at this point? They, they wouldn't have known. Again, you're not just downloaded with information, you know, and when, whenever you get saved, especially when new things come along, somebody's got to teach you. Somebody's got to open up the Word of God, and they've got to show you what the Bible says. So uh, these people were definitely saved. But again, today, if somebody asked that question, I'd be like, we need to start all over. I don't even think you're saved. But again... Because we've received that dispensation. And so let me explain how a few things about this that I think will help. So first off, what we need to keep in mind as we read this is the empowering of the Holy Ghost didn't automatically come on everyone who was saved in the earth on the day of Pentecost. Now, those who were there on Pentecost got the Holy Ghost, you know, empowered by the Holy Ghost. Those who got saved that day got empowered by the Holy Ghost when they heard the preaching of Jesus, you better believe they got all they got it got it that day. But we see later in the Bible when they would go to other parts of Israel, it wasn't until they preached to them, it wasn't until they laid hands on them that those people would receive the Holy Ghost. So again, these people, so the people who were saved before that time, you know, they are not just going to all of a sudden now just be walking along the road one day, you know, in another country somewhere. And because of what happened in Israel, just all of a sudden, boom, they get it too. If they'd have got it, they'd have been like, they wouldn't have known what happened. Somebody's got to, somebody's got to explain that to them. So it's important that we understand that it was, it only came on those who were present. And so while saved people who had not received the empowering of the Holy Ghost yet were still saved, those people needed to hear about Jesus. In other words, they needed to receive that extra dispensation before they could receive that empowering of the Holy Ghost. They were already saved. The extra dispensation that they received did not all of a sudden make them more saved. Okay? And so people who got saved after Pentecost, they would immediately receive the Holy Ghost because when they would get saved, they were hearing the gospel with that extra dispensation, you could say. And so today, if somebody gets saved, you know, we're giving them the full gospel of Jesus Christ. And so when they get saved, they're getting, this, they're getting all the dispensations that we have. You understand, understand that? We don't go to people, we're out knocking on a door, and we uh, knocking on doors and say, listen, if you die today, you know for sure if you go to heaven? And if they're like, oh, no, I'm not sure. Well, just so you know, a seed of a woman is one day going to bruise the head of Satan. And you know, 
We're not going to just give them that. Okay? That, that's not going to be sufficient. God has given us a whole lot more than that. And they are required to believe all those things. So, uh, you know, so keep that in mind. So this concept of it coming on saved people later, it only applied to those who were already saved before Pentecost. Anybody who has been saved since then, they immediately got the Holy Ghost. It was only the people who were saved before that got it later, you know, whenever they would hear the preaching of Jesus Christ. And so a good way to explain this, all right? So let me, theoretically, okay, this is not going to happen because the Bible tells us how this is going to take place. But theoretically, I explained this last week, how someday we are going to receive another dispensation of Jesus Christ at his appearing. We are going to know more about him and that, and we're going to be changed when that takes place. Now, we understand when he comes with clouds, every eye is going to see it. So we're all going to get that dispensation at the same time. But theoretically speaking, all right, let's just say someone was not to see Jesus at the rapture. If somebody didn't, that was saved, okay, they would still be saved, but they wouldn't be glorified until they see him. You understand that? Just because they weren't present, you know, maybe they were down in a cave during that time and couldn't see him. All right. You know, just because that just because that happened doesn't mean they're going to lose their salvation. But what, what, what would happen theoretically is later when they do see him, then they would receive that extra dispensation and they would get glorified, too. And so it's the same thing, too, with people who were saved before the cross. Okay, whenever they hear, whenever that next dispensation is revealed to them, the Holy Spirit is going to indwell them and the Holy Spirit is going to enable them to accept that and to believe that. And it's going to happen on everyone. We see no examples of people who were saved before Pentecost rejecting the truth about Jesus Christ after they heard it. Zero examples of that. So uh, that's how these things work. So, um, you know, so again, we're all going to see Jesus at the same time. But even then, you know, is everybody going to get raptured at the same moment? Or is Jesus going to maybe travel through the whole earth you know, what if, it, what if it takes a day? I don't know. I'm just speculating. But if it, if it takes a day, uh, you know, does the people who get it see him in the first hour, okay? You know, are they going to be more saved than the people who don't see him till the 23rd hour? You see what I'm saying? It's so, these, when, when a person is saved and they that are alive in a transition period like that, they're going to receive that next dispensation so we don't need to be confused by this because people just didn't magically get all this knowledge about the death burial and resurrection at the death burial and resurrection of jesus christ and this is one of the reasons too they were so thorough to make sure whenever they would travel to new parts of the world they weren't expecting to find saved people at the temple of diana but you know what they would expect to find saved people at the synagogues where they had the books of Moses, where they claimed to be believers in God, where they were looking for a Messiah. So they're going to go and they're going to try to make sure, hey, we need to give these people the rest of the story. We need to let them know that the Messiah came. We need to go and lay hands on these people so they can receive the Holy Ghost and they can be empowered so they can go and reach more people. And so they can know that they're supposed to reach Greeks as well as other Jews. So while the, so 
Uh, back to verse 4 and 5. I want you to point this out too, because this can be a little confusing here. Because it says, Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him, which should come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, several years ago, I was preaching a message, and the way I had preached this passage, I said that Paul rebaptized them. Because these guys had the baptism of John, but then they needed to get baptized again after they hear about Jesus Christ. And, and I had somebody call me up, and they, they just said, I'm not totally sure you're right. And they, they read some commentaries to me that I actually think were right. And I, think I, was, I, I do think I was reading this wrong. I think the way you're supposed to read that is when it, when it says that John speaking that they should believe in him that should come, that is on Christ Jesus, when they heard this. In other words, not what Paul was preaching, but what John had preached, that they should believe in him that should come after, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So uh, what he was saying, and I think he's probably right, that they act, that baptism they received was the baptism of John. Paul didn't baptize him again. And it doesn't explicitly say Paul baptized them, but it does say that he laid his hands upon them and they received the Holy Ghost. And that's what we would see them do when they would run into these guys that were already saved. They would lay hands on them so they received the Holy Ghost. Unlike guys like Cornelius, uh, you know, who, well, of course, he had gotten saved during that time, but they would baptize him. So I don't believe that these guys got baptized again. I think they were already baptized. And the wording's a little confusing, but um, I believe they were baptized at the preaching of John, but they got the Holy Ghost when Paul laid hands on them. So verse 8 says, Then he went to the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. So again, Paul has not quit going to the Jews. He immediately goes to the Jews again. He goes to the synagogue and for three months he's going there disputing. He's arguing with people, persuading things concerning the kingdom of God. Now mark that one down too because the people, the dispensationalists who teach the heresy of the kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven being two different kingdoms, you know what they teach? They teach that the kingdom of heaven is for the Jews and the kingdom of God is for everyone else. But if that's the case, then why is Paul preaching the kingdom of God to the Jews? You know why? He's preaching the same thing he's preaching to the Gentiles. Same thing. So uh, right there is a verse that just shows uh, there is no difference. And, um, and I've talked about this before, but I think it's worth repeating. Kingdom of heaven, that term is only used in Matthew that was geared towards Jews. And it's clear that it's geared towards Jews too, just the way it's written all the constant references that it makes to as it was written in the prophets. You see that over and over again. And I've heard some say that, you know, because the Jews, they would be offended at, you know, a lot of times at the writing of the name of God in different areas. And so they would say things like, you know, heaven instead, because it, it was the same thing. And so, um, you know, I think there's a lot of legitimacy to that, but there's no doubt it's the same kingdom. Verse 9 says, but when divers were hardened, and believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude. He departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. And so, again, he finally gives up with the Jews and says, all right, I'm going to the Gentiles. This is what he would do from city to city. He always gave them a chance first. But I want you to notice this, too, because this is important. 
Okay? A lot of people are way too quick to give people their first and second admonition, you know, at, which is you're, you're just, people are too anxious to just nail somebody as a heretic and reject them, reprobate them, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, how do we know when we probably should just move on from somebody? Because that's, you know, a good question. And I think, you know, I think as long as people are being open, as long as they're being friendly, when they're not being confrontational, when people are listening, I think we ought to be talking. Now, when they get to what they're doing here, where they start speaking evil of the way, when they start just, when they start attacking what you're teaching, when they start turning again and rending you, when they start railing, when they basically notice what it says, how they speak evil of the way before the multitude. In other words, they're trying to be very public. They're just trying to do whatever they can to steer people away from you. So it's like if you're out, you know, if you're out walking the streets, out soloing, talking to people, you know, I said, I'll argue with somebody one-on-one to a certain extent, but when they start creating a scene and just trying to get attention, you know, that's when you just need to walk away. And that's kind of what they were doing here. Okay. You know, railing is not just saying something that's not technically right, but it's when you are, it's, it's when you're trying to, you know, cast doubt, cast evil in a very public way on somebody or something. And that's what they're doing right here. This isn't a matter of them just disagreeing with Paul. No, they're speaking evil against it and they're making sure everyone hears it. And that's not good. Okay. And that's, that's a bit, you know, that's a big difference too. And like me and you, if I have some kind of conflict with Brian, it's one thing if me and him are just kind of having an argument, you know, and we ought to be able to do that and, you know, just walk away, be big boys and stuff like that. But when it turns, and even if I'm saying stuff that's false and not technically right, when it turns into railing, when I quit just saying it to him, and I got to make sure everybody knows, you know, and then I just get real public about it, you know, I'm posting about it on social media and stuff like that, because I'm just trying to, you know, it's not, it's not enough that I just have a problem with him. I got to make sure everybody else has a problem with him too. That's not good. When people start going into that mode, you know what you need to do? You need to do like Paul, move on. It's like, all right, we're not accomplishing anything anymore. We're not getting anywhere. And so he, uh, he goes to the Gentiles in verse 10. And this continued by the space of two years. So that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. So I mean, he's reaching a lot of people right now. Paul did an unbelievably great work in Ephesus. And he literally shakes, he shakes things up big time in there. And I want to show you something because again, everybody's hearing it. Now, just because everybody's hearing it doesn't mean everybody's receiving it, but people are getting a chance. And when, pe- when, when enough people hear the gospel, there's going to be some results. There's going to be some people getting saved, and especially if everybody's hearing the gospel. And, you know, if we're ever doing such a good job, everyone is hearing the gospel in our community. It's going to make a difference somewhere. Unfortunately, most people, most churches, they're not doing enough work to where they would even be capable of actually shaking things up. But Paul is getting it done for two years. And so this would be how the church of Ephesus gets going. We have the book of Ephesians that were obviously written to these people. And it says in verse 11, and God wrought special miracles by the hand of Paul so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons and the diseases departed from them and evil spirits went out of them. So, you know, God's doing such a great work there. I mean, miracles are being done in such a big way. 
Paul doesn't even have time to go to everybody. He's just sending handkerchiefs and things to them, and then they're putting that in the body. And that's pretty much all they had to do, and the people were healed. And this is pretty amazing what's going on right here. Evil spirits are departing. Paul doesn't even have to show up. You know, and, uh, and you know what? I don't think it's a coincidence that this great work that Paul is doing, I mean, where Paul seems to just have an extra dose of power right now, I don't think it's a coincidence that in the, I think it was in the previous chapter where he had separated himself to God and he had taken that Nazarite vow. And you know what? There's something, okay, and I, and I get, we don't have to follow those Old Testament customs, but you know, when a person gets serious about separating themselves to God, about getting the power of God on their life, you know what? You can expect some things to happen. And unfortunately, I don't think we do enough of that today. We've kind of let the charismaniacs and the camp meeting nut jobs scare us away from some of this stuff. But you know what? There's something to be said for just taking the time to really try to get a hold of the Lord through fasting, prayer. We just, we don't try very hard, you know, when it comes to getting the power of God. We'll go say a quick little prayer. I did my part. I prayed. But you know, the Bible talks about the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. First off, your prayer is cold and it's lame, and you're not very righteous. So why do you think it's going to accomplish much? You know, I think we need to get more serious about some of these things. And uh, just, but you know, unfortunately, we're so blessed in this country, in a lot of areas, we just don't have a burden for much. I have a burden for souls. Do you? I mean, are you willing to even separate yourself from anything? Are you willing to go... 24 hours without eating. You know, I mean, I, if, if, I mean, just, would we be willing to separate ourselves to God for one day? Just avoid eating and drinking, avoid television, internet, all that kind of stuff, and just try to kind of have a time of, of just prayer, fasting, reading your Bible. I don't know, I wonder if maybe we tried some of the, you know, things like that. Might have, be more effective out soloing. But, Again, uh, you know, what do most people do today? And I think, well, their way of getting serious is I'm going to go to a camp meeting and let some preacher get me all hyped up with the music and the preaching, and I'll go do a glory lap a couple times, and then, then I got the power of God. No, that's not what, you know, that doesn't resemble what Paul did. Not, not at all. But I, do, I don't think it's a coincidence that these great works Paul's doing, it was after a time where he had separated himself to God. So verse 13 and then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits, uh, the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. Now, I was half tempted after going through this passage of just preaching a whole sermon on these vagabond Jews. Okay, Now, understand, while they were Jews, they're vagabond Jews. So these guys are outsiders even amongst the Jewish community. They're just vagabonds. They're wanderers. Okay? They, they don't really have any claim to anything. Nobody, nobody will claim them. They won't claim anybody else. They don't have any home or anything like that. You know, and what is, what is, what's another word for a vagabond today? You know, a bum, a hobo. Somebody who's just out doing his own thing, just trying to mooch off people, get whatever he can from whoever he can. You know, and uh, that's what these, these guys are. And let me tell you something. We got a bunch of vagabond, I don't even want to call them Christians. 
But you know, we'll call them, we'll just call them vagabond Jews. They're all over this country today, but we can all find them in the YouTube world. We find them in the internet world. They're people. They've never done anything in their life for more than a couple years. They've never done anything for a decade. But you know what? They've all got a platform. They've all got a YouTube channel where they're all going to tell us how it's done. And these guys here, they're seeing Paul do these great works and casting out devils, and he's getting all kinds of attention. And these vagabonds who've never done anything in their life, who nobody will claim them, oh, we can do that too. You know what? And, and what do they do? They're going to copy off what Paul did. Hey, I saw Paul, the way he did it, you know, he used the name of Jesus to cast these guys out. And you know what? Anything these vagabond YouTubers know, they stole from somebody else. Oh, you know, I know they're a freak and a weirdo and, you know, a nut job and they're waiting for the alien invasion and all that kind of stuff. But, you know what? They're right in this one area. Yeah, because they stole that from another YouTuber that's probably an actual pastor or something. Okay. What? You know what? Don't follow people who have no connection to any church, who have no history that lasts, you know, I mean, that even a decade. Is it too much to ask somebody be faithful to something for a decade before you'll change your life for these people? Before you'll quit giving your tithes and offerings to the church and start giving it to one of these internet nut jobs? It's amazing some of these people that are out there, just absolute vagabonds. They steal any, anything they have, they stole from somebody else. And, you know, so beware of these people. They've never been a part of any one church for any period of time. They're kind of like gypsies. They, so they've been everywhere, so they think they know a lot. They think that they know something because of the fact, well, yeah, I was a Catholic for a while, and then I was a Mormon, and then I was this, and I was that, you know, and I was like Bill Schnoblin, and I was a, you know, a vampire, and you know, I've just done a little bit of everything. Okay, well, you know what? Come tell us how it's done after you've actually done something, again, for a decade. We've got people out there, some of these YouTubers, I saw a video recently, a guy made a video about me who used to believe like us, you know, and then he became more of like a Brian Denlinger type, and he was, he's been, he, and this guy's like in his early 20s, and he's already been like three or four different, completely different types of Christian. And it's like, dude, go do something for a little bit. You know what he is? He's a vagabond. Okay, He's a vagabond. And you know what? All these people that are on, in the YouTube world like that, what they all have in common, they haven't believed what they believe for very long, and they've never been a part of any church for very long. And if they have for more than a decade, it was from zero to ten years old. Or it was during the time when their parents made them go to that church. Since they've had a choice, they've never done anything for any length of time. And you got to watch out. They are always... They're always good for nothings. And notice what they do. Because what these guys did is exactly what these vagabond YouTuber types will do too. It, so, uh, it says in verse 14, And there were seven sons of one Sceva, a Jew, and chief of the priests, which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are ye? And I love doing that with these people too. When they start acting like they're this great part, like, uh, who are you? What have you done? What, you know, what have you accomplished? A single punk trying to tell married guys how to handle their wives. Have you ever handled a wife? Have you ever had a wife? Oh, you've had three of them. Okay, I don't think I want to hear from you how to handle a wife. You know, but they're going to be the first ones out there. trying. But you know, I just, I just say, who are you? 
You know, who, who are you? You mean nothing. It says, And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus and fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. So these guys were abused, humiliated, shamed. And, you know, I don't want to know what he did to them. But, you know, these, this guy was obviously demon-possessed. And, you know, he, what he did was violent. And uh, he stripped these guys down, sent them away naked and ashamed. And they ran away like a bunch of cowards. And that's what happens to these vagabond types on YouTube. Whenever they're out there, as, as soon as they get na- their hides nailed to the wall on something, as soon as they get attacked, you know what? They just run to the next thing. They just go to the next thing. You know, you know what those guys probably did? They just went to another town somewhere where nobody knew what happened to them there. And then they started telling everybody how great they were there by copying off whoever some of the local leaders were. Because that, that's what these type of people do. And let me tell you something. This New Testament church you know, structure that we have, it's been going on for 2,000 years. Is it too much to ask that someone, when putting forth some truth, that they be able to claim a generation that has actually believed that and practiced it? You know, I, I think it, I don't think that's asking too much. Just say, hey, are you literally the first person that's ever discovered this? You know, I mean, how has the church functioned for the last two thousand years? You know, it's it's pretty crazy. You know, how were people getting saved before Tyler Doka, you know, came on the scene, who's now claiming to be Jesus? You know, yeah, uh, people are nuts. That dude is a vagabond. Yeah, right there. You, you want to know an example of me? I'll just name one. Yeah, Doka is a vagabond. A vagabond, you might as well call him a Jew, too. You know, and because uh, he's teaches some pretty crazy stuff. But... Verse 18 says, And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them also, which used curious arts, brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. And this is great too because, again, Paul seizing great results. The bad guys are getting the snot beat out of them and humiliated. God is doing a great work in the city. The word of God is growing and prevailing. And what it means for the word of God to grow and prevail, I preached a sermon on this several years ago, is not that more is being written, but the fact that more of it's being followed. That's how we make the word of God grow. That's how we expand the word of God. We make sure more people know what it says and that they live it as well. And when we do that, the word of God grows and it prevails. And that's what we want. So the word of God grew as it was preached and as the preaching was followed. And you know what? Who cares if I'm preaching awesome biblical messages if no one is following the teaching? I mean, really, what's the point? I mean, I'm glad. I mean, I'm doing my part. I'm getting the truth to you. But you know what? We'll never change anything if you all, as God's people, aren't going to submit to what the Bible says. And, you know, and that's one of the most frustrating things sometimes about being a pastor is everybody wants you to solve all their problems, but then when you tell them what the Bible says, they don't want to do that. And then they still expect you to fix it. It's like, you know, you're asking me to make bricks without straw. You know, I, I, you've got to do what the Bible says. I don't, I don't like that. I'm sorry, but you know what? I might not like flour, 
But if I want to eat pancakes, better put some flour in there. Otherwise, I'm not going to get pancakes. So uh, a lot of people, that's kind of how they are. They want, they, they, they want all these wonderful things. They want sunshine, roses, and happiness. They want to wake up every day while everybody runs around the house like a musical, singing songs with orchestras playing in the background and things like that. And you know what? First off, I haven't figured out how to make that happen yet. I'd love to make that happen. But, you know, either way, some things are just hard. Some things just take work. And, you know, it's not, it's not always like, you know, we've, we watch too much TV. That's what it comes down to. We watch too much TV. Anytime there's that, you know, I'll never be as good as the TV preachers or the, on movies and stuff. Because whenever the preacher really starts bringing the truth that changes somebody's life, you've got all the fancy camera angles working just right. You've got the inspirational music going on in the background. Maybe that's what we need, inspirational music going while I'm preaching to kind of set the mood. Maybe the black churches have something with the organist up there, you know, going along with, uh, with the preacher. Maybe we need something like that. And then, you know, you have these enlightening moments. All of a sudden, you come to the altar, and everything's in slow motion. You know, everybody has a good cry. Everybody does exactly what they need. You know, that's not the way real life works, ladies and gentlemen. But that's what you all think is supposed to happen when I'm preaching. I just can't figure out how to make that happen. Pray for that organ player that knows how to do that mutant music, and maybe we can come close to making it happen. Uh, maybe, Brother Dan, you start working on some mood music with the orchestra, and we'll just keep the orchestra up here while I'm preaching. Maybe that'll get it done. It's like, no, you need to just be able to look what the Bible says and do it. So, um, but, you know, there were some pretty dramatic moments in the Bible. That's just not the way it's going to be most of the time. It says, and after these things were ended, Paul uh, purposed in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. So he sent to Macedonia two of them that ministered unto him, Timotheus and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a season. And at the same time, there arose no small stir about the way, for a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines for Diana, brought no small gain unto the craftsmen, whom he called together with the workmen of like occupation, and said, Sirs, ye know that by this craft we have our wealth. Moreover, ye see and hear that not alone at Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia, this Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying that they be no gods which are made with hands. So that not only this our craft is in danger to be set at naught, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised and her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worshipeth. And you know... Notice this, because again, Paul is shaking things up. And you know, this is when it started becoming a problem here in Ephesus. Because normally, the Greeks didn't have a big problem with them. Normally, they were pretty accepting of them. Not all of them were getting saved, but they weren't really getting persecution from the Greeks. It was mainly the Jews. But if you remember in the previous city, the Jews tried and it backfired on them. But now, Paul has been so successful because he does not have the Jews getting in the way, that now Satan has got to step in. It's like, all right, we, we can't have this. And so now he's going to get the Greeks doing something. And you know what caused them? You know what finally just made them say, wait a minute, time out. When it started costing them money. When it started affecting their pocketbook, all of a sudden we had a, they had a big problem. And, you know, and a good way to get yourself in trouble, and Paul got himself in trouble, 
A good way you can always get yourself in trouble is preach the truth. That will get you in some trouble. A good way to get yourself in more trouble is to get others to believe and follow that truth. That will get you in even more trouble. Most missionaries in some of these hostile countries are pretty safe because they're just not very effective. You know, they're, they're in, I mean, I've, heard, I've talked to some missionaries that are in some pretty rough countries. They don't have any problems. You know why? They're not really getting anything done. Now, if they start getting something done, they'll get persecuted. I, I, I guarantee it. But the best way to get yourself in trouble is to get people following that truth to the point where other people start losing money. And this is, this is why Paul got beat and, and Paul and Silas got beat in Philippi. Because remember they got that one girl saved who got their masters much gain through her saying, And then that's when those guys are like, all right, we got to do something about these guys because it costs them money. And so Paul is preaching good. The word of God is growing. And so people are learning we're not supposed to be worshiping idols. And so these guys finally was like, you know what? We're losing money. We got to do something about this. And so it says in verse 28, when they had heard these sayings, they were full of wrath and cried out saying, great is Diana of the Ephesians. And the whole city was filled with confusion and having caught Gaius and Aristarchus, men of Macedonia, Paul's companions in travel, they rushed with one accord into the theater. And when Paul would have entered in unto the people, the disciples suffered him not. And I love the apostle Paul, man. He was just such a fighter. I mean, you've got an angry mob that are taking Paul's companions. What do you think they're going to do to him when he goes in? But what does Paul see? Hey, stadium full of people. I'm going to go preach. (laughs) But he's like stopped by his companions. And so, and Paul was so successful in that city, the Greeks are basically now doing like the Jews and they're stirring the people up against him. Uh, Even though before they never really seemed to care until it affects their wallet. So it says, And certain of the chief of Asia, which were friends, sent unto him, desiring him that he would not adventure himself into the theater. So all these people are getting together in the theater. So Paul doesn't see danger. He just sees an opportunity to preach to a multitude. But his friend's like, don't go in there, Paul. And it says, Some therefore cried one thing and another, and some another, for the assembly was confused, and the more part knew not whether they were come together. So things are so chaotic. Things are so stirred up. Everyone's mad, but most of the people don't even know why they're mad. It was kind of like some of these riots that we see today. People are mad. They don't know why. Why are you busting that window? I'm mad. Why? I don't know. You know, America's racist. Okay, well, what did that store owner do? You realize that store owner was black, don't you? You They they don't know why they're mad. Somebody just gets them all stirred up, and they act like maniacs. And that's basically what's going on right now. And this was not really a good time to preach. Okay, again, you know, that's an important thing, too. And we've been there before. You know, uh, we were in Dixon one time. We, we could tell things were getting stirred up in a trailer park. They weren't happy we were there. And, you know, if you sense things are about to get ugly, it's okay to move on and go somewhere else. Okay? I would rather go talk to some people who are going to listen than get in fistfights. I mean, I just, I don't think we're going to accomplish much. When we're on their turf and we get in a fistfight, everybody's going to think we're the bad guys. So if, if you can avoid some of that stuff, again, just, you know, use some wisdom But it says, um, verse 33, And they drew Alexander out of the multitude, the Jews putting him forward. And Alexander beckoned with the hand and would have made his defense unto the people. And so while the Jews aren't actually the ones behind this riot, they took advantage of this opportunity. And when the mob needed somebody, 
they knew who to get. It's like, hey, let's push this guy out there. And they do. They put Alexander out there. And uh, they, they th- basically took a saved Jew and threw him out to the mob. It's like, this is our chance to get rid of this guy. We don't have any influence anymore. But let's take advantage of the situation where the mob's freaking out and, you know, creating a big scene. And it says, but when they knew that he was a Jew, all with one voice about the space of two hours cried out, great is Diana of the Ephesians. And imagine just a multitude of people for two hours just screaming that over and over again. This is super wicked, what was going on right here. You know, it's amazing that God didn't just go torching the city right then. And this was a very pagan, idolatrous city that, you know, historically it talks about the you know, they had a large, you know, temple too, to uh, a giant image of uh, Diana of Ephesus. And it was, this was a very wicked city. But you know what? There was a lot of saved people in this city. And while these people don't realize it, it was probably those saved people that saved that city from major judgment during this time. Because this is wicked what was going on. And it says that when the town clerk had appeased the people, he said, ye men of Ephesus, what man is there that knoweth not how that the city of Ephesus is, is a worshiper of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Jupiter? That was a lie. It didn't fall down from Jupiter. They got it from Earth and somebody carved it. But that's what they believed. You know, and says, seeing then that these things cannot be spoken against, ye ought to be quiet and to do nothing rashly. For ye have brought hither these men, which are neither robbers of churches, nor yet blasphemers of your goddess. Wherefore, if Demetrius and the craftsmen which are with him have a matter against any man, the law is open, and there are deputies. Let them implead one another. But if ye inquire anything concerning other matters, it shall be determined in a lawful assembly. For we are in danger to be called in question for this day's uproar, there being no cause whereby we may give an account of this concourse, and when they had thus spoken, he dismissed the assembly. Now, I don't have a lot of time to talk about this, but something very important that we need, that we can learn from this, that we need to understand. And so first off, things got completely out of hand in this city. This is embarrassing. It's embarrassing when a city just loses control, when there's riots. And, and here we don't even see destruction of property and things like that. The people just started freaking out and making a bunch of noise. But this is not good. Okay. And um, you know, nobody got hurt, but people were very close to getting hurt. And this is very similar to the example we saw last week with, again, when the Jews got everybody stirred up and they bring Paul, you know, and then Gallio looks and is like, this is not a matter to be bringing before me. And he drove the Jews from him. And one of the things that we see uh, and that we know from the Bible, one of the things that we know from history that the Roman Empire, one of the reasons it was as strong as it was and as powerful as it was, is they did have a lot of law and order. There was a lot of structure to their government. Very similar to what we see in America today. You know, there was actually a lot of similarities to some of what you see with the Roman Empire and how things worked and how you see in America today. And let me tell you, law and order is a great thing. It's always a good thing. But here's the thing. When you have immoral godless people it will eventually fall apart and so while rome through brute force had been able to conquer the known world at that time and while they had been able to have law and order in many ways 
unless these people get saved and start living according to the Bible, what they have is eventually going to crumble and fall. What these people, what this mob was shooting for, what they were doing that day is they were trying to basically push anarchy is what was going on. Or another word for that you could say is democracy. What the majority wants is what the majority gets. There's not a huge difference. Okay, democracy works great if you have righteous people. But when you have wicked, vile, disgusting, godless people, the last thing you want is that multitude getting their way. And that's why we don't have a democracy. We have a republic. Okay, and it's amazing a nation of people that were raised going to schools where they pledged allegiance to the flag and to the republic for which it stands don't even realize we have a republican form of government. And it's, and it's a good thing. And that's what they had back then too. But because the people were wicked, it eventually fell apart and the Roman Empire fell. And you know, in America, our republic has been great when our nation had a lot more Christians in it. When our nation was following more of the Bible, you know, that it worked, it, it, our, our Constitution worked great. And our founding fathers even understood that, you know what, our Constitution, it will only work for a God-fearing people, for a, for a Christian people. Our, our Constitution would never work in a Muslim country. And you know what, it won't work in this country when it's full of weirdos and fruit loops and pedophiles and just all the piles of garbage that are walking the streets of this earth with no morals or anything it will fall apart and right here is is a reminder of that and we can we can see evidence just in the book of acts of just kind of how fragile things were in the roman empire during that time because you did you have the romans they're strong They've got an organized government, but the people are wicked. And it didn't last. It fell apart. And that's exactly what's going to happen in this country. And so what our country needs, okay, I, I think our country, um, you know, when it comes to our Constitution, is set up really good to where if the Word of God is to increase, we'll thrive. In this country, and you know what? We have thrived in this country for a long time. We thrived in this country when the word of God was being increased, when it was being preached and followed. But when we got away from that, it all fell apart. And you know what? Even if they never did a thing to change our constitution, even if we fought, you know, still had the Bill of Rights and all those things, it's eventually going to fall apart if we go down the path we're going on of just immorality, allowing all these other gods. It's, gonna, it's, it's not going to last. It can't possibly last. And that's why we're seeing, too, people just pushing so hard against getting Christianity and the Bible out of everything. Because guess what? That's where morals come from. This is, where, this is what determines right and wrong. This is. This is right and wrong is, is in here. So, let's, and so people who are just bent on destroying this country... If they can successfully remove all that, pretty soon you know what you're going to have? We're going to have stuff like Ephesus where there's complete and total anarchy, where there's complete and total chaos. And fortunately, the government was still strong enough then they were able to come and calm things down. And you know, we're seeing more and more evidence of how just fragile things are in our country. 
we're seeing more and more examples where the mobs getting their way in cities, where they're just burning places down, destroying everything. And it, it's getting worse and worse. And we will continue down this path as long as our morals continue going downhill. And I don't care what laws they pass in D.C. I don't care if we get all Republicans in there. If we don't fix the moral problem, if people don't start following the Bible in this country, we will continue having these kind of things. The Black Lives Matter riots are going to look like you know picnics before long. Pretty soon, we keep going on the path we're going on. A Black Lives Matter riot is going to look like you know, one of these scenes in a musical where everybody breaks out into song and is running around in, in happiness. That, that's how bad things are going to get in this country. Where We're going to look back at those days when they were just burning things down and we're going to think about Julie Andrews on top of the mountain, you know, singing the hills are alive with the sound of music. I mean, that's how, that's how bad it's going to get. And so uh, the Bible, it, uh, it, it's neat seeing these stories and how these things worked because it's a... Uh, it helps us understand where we're going and why these things are important. And let me tell you, as long if, if we're going to be, if we are successful in getting people to follow the word of God, you know what? We'll get some bars mad at us. If, if, if the word of God starts to increase, we'll get some bars mad at us. You know why? Because we'll start taking their customers away. And you know what? I hope that happens. All these stupid gaming places, I would love to start seeing those things get closed down. But you know what will probably happen if we get the Word of God to increase or those places are going down? Some of them will probably like vandalize a church or something like that. I say bring it, man. Those, those people, those, every one of those places are just a, they're an ugly tattoo on the body of our town is what they are. And they disgust me and make me sick. And you know what? I want people to get saved so they'll go to heaven. But I want to keep preaching the truth just to kill those businesses. And I hope we do it someday. I've been told the one alcohol store here in town is owned by a homo. You know what? Let's get people to quit drinking. Why do you want to do that? So we can put that homo out of, out of business. Let that be a motivator for you right there. So I don't like that. I don't think that's good motivation. Hey, whatever you got to do to get yourself fired up, to get in the Word of God to increase, you do that. That's going to be a motivator for me. I'm going to, pre- I'm going to preach extra hard against drinking just to put the homo out of business. So... With that, I hope this gets you, get you fired up and excited about the Word of God. So let's pray to your Lord. I thank you so much for uh, this great store in your Word. Lord, I pray it help us to learn some of the things we see from it. It helps to take uh, separating ourselves to you serious and to just have that desire to have your power on our lives, Lord. Not so we can just do miracles and so we can uh, lift ourselves up, but Lord, so we can make a difference. There's a lot of suffering in this community, Lord. There's a lot of places, people that are suffering because of these horrible gambling establishments, the alcohol. And Lord, I, I pray, Lord, that you'll help us to make enough of a difference in this area. We'll start hurting these people's businesses. I pray we'll get these people saved and not just saved, but living right. And according to your word, I pray we'll increase the word of God in this community and uh, we'll, that we'll drive out a lot of the evil that's out here and they'll have to go to other places. And I pray you'll just help us uh, to make a difference. In your name we pray. Amen.